welcome back to the Walk the Word podcast. My name is James and I'm the pastor here at SAR Fellowship in the Kingdom of Bahrain. This is our midweek Bible teaching. We have been walking through God's Word one chapter a week and we began all the way back in Genesis 1 and today we get to Numbers chapter 21. Now, as we say each and every week, if you've never read this chapter, if you've no idea what it is all about, go ahead and press pause, read it, and then we'll come back together as we seek to know and grow in the Word. So Numbers 21 begins, When the Canaanite, the king of Arad, who lived in the Negev, heard that Israel was coming by the way of Atharim, he fought against Israel and took some of them captive now, if you read around this, if you look into uh, these people and these places, the geography where this was supposed to have happened uh, is kind of difficult um, when we read of uh, the king of Arad who lived in the Negev and then Israel are passing through. We would expect them to be in a different place to where this is claimed to have happened and the best solution in rectifying these things so it seems uh, is that the king was on the move he wasn't just rooted in one place all the time that he moved around heard they were coming and went out to kind of intercept them on their way Uh, so he comes and he fought against israel we read and he took some of them captive and in verse 2 we read israel vowed a vow to the lord and said if you will indeed give this people into my hand then I will devote their cities to destruction. So basically, if you help us win, we will totally destroy whoever is in front of us, whatever is in front of us, and we'll give it to you. We're not going to profit and become rich uh, if you uh, allow us to be used in judgment against these people, if you help us to defeat uh, these people. And so what's really encouraging there is that they are reliant on God. They start off this chapter well. They're completely reliant on God. God, please help us to defeat uh, this enemy. And then we read that the Lord heeded the voice of Israel, gave over the Canaanites, and they devoted them and their cities to destruction. So the name of the place was called Hormah. Nobody was going to be, uh, become rich through this, this war of judgment, through this, if you help us, we'll give it all to you. Thankfully, they stuck to that vow. And uh, what's really nice is the place here is called Horma. It's come up before, back in chapter 14, where the people showed a decided lack of belief and a lack of trust. So what's really nice here is that that's come full circle and now they're back to trusting in God uh, for their victory. Unfortunately, in the very next sentence, the very next verse, we see that they set out by way uh, to, by the way, to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom, uh, and the people became impatient on the way. It started off so well; they're believing, they're trusting in God, uh, and now they're showing the same unbelief as previous generations, some of whom are still alive, no doubt, uh, for a little bit at least, um, having just defeated an enemy having vowed to god and received his supernatural help they're complaining again uh, they're speaking to god they're speaking against god and against moses as god's chosen leader we've talked about that a bunch of times working through numbers why have you brought us out of egypt to die in the wilderness there's no food no water we loathe we hate we detest this worthless food god's miraculous manner provision no i don't like it let's go back to egypt is still the call of this people even though 
they have just been supernaturally empowered for victory in the very previous paragraph. So we read in verse 6, The Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people so that the people of Israel died. Some are going to make a case that these were red in color. Uh, others are going to make a case that there was an intense pain and, and a burning feeling when bitten. Either way, these poisonous snakes, the judgment of God is sent upon people who complain, who don't hold him in uh, high regard, who don't trust, don't have an abiding faith in him, as we read in Colossians. And the consequence of that is death. Uh, and we start to draw a really strong parallel and strong application for ourselves. Those who don't trust have an abiding, ongoing faith in God face the consequences of that, and that is death. But Scripture tells us God is a God of love, and he desires that none may perish. The people realize the error of their ways. Uh, we have sinned, we read, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you, Moses. Pray to God, pray to the Lord that he takes away the serpents from us. So Moses prays to the people, he intercedes for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent, set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze a serpent or a copper serpent maybe your bible says and set it on a pole and if a serpent bit anyone he would look at the bronze serpent and live now how good is that maybe you know where this is going already maybe you don't but in john's gospel in chapter 3 jesus is speaking and he says in verse 14 of John 3, Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. Now people are going to use this verse uh, as, well, we're going to lift up the name of Jesus. But that's not really what's going on. Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness... The Son of Man must be lifted up, must be uh, visible, must be there for people to look at. What are we talking about? We're talking about the cross. We're talking about being lifted up on a pole, on a piece of wood. We're talking about being visible and to be able to look to in faith for healing, for life, to be saved from the consequence of their sin, death. Now notice with me that the people don't have to do anything. If a serpent bit them, anyone would look at the bronze serpent and live. They don't have to look and wash or touch it or perform certain prayers or do or give or be or go. They just need to look and they will live. They look at that, that emblem, that representation of healing that offer of life they look upon it and they believe that god will spare them forgive them prolong their life and it happens we read also in isaiah 45 the same truth and it's apparently the verse that the, the truth that uh, charles spurgeon heard and that really prompted him to give his life to God. In Isaiah 45, turn to me so you can be delivered. All you who live in the earth's remote regions, I am God and I have no peer. Turn to me so you can be delivered. Turn, look, believe, have faith, and you will 
be saved. What a big, beautiful gospel example right here buried in Numbers 21 where people are faithful and then unfaithful believe. They don't believe. They're battling. They're warring. We've got uh, events of where they've been, prayers they've prayed, songs they've sung. And in the middle there is a seemingly very practical uh, example of something for these people in this place at this time. They were bitten by snakes. How are they saved? How are they delivered? Well, look at this snake in faith and you will be saved. What a big, beautiful application and example of the gospel that Jesus himself referenced. Again, in John 3, 14 and 15, he then goes on to say those famous words that so many people know and love, that that is how God shows that he loves the world. That whoever believes in Jesus uh, will be saved, will be forgiven, will have life eternal. And how he's lifted up, he's displayed, he is looked to, he is believed in when he is dying for the sins of the world on the cross. Numbers 21 continues then, and between verses 10 and 20, we get this account of where they've been places and the songs they've sung, the praises. And the chapter finishes, verses 21 to 30, uh, with more belief. We started well. We've kind of dipped and had a bit of a period of unbelief. We've slipped back into old ways, old routines, old complaints, and then we're back in the last third of this chapter, verses 21 to 30, they send messengers to King Sihon, king of the Amorites, saying, as we talked about last week, please let us pass through. We're going to go on the king's highway. We're not going to uh, eat, drink, touch, destroy anything. Uh, but no, they're not allowed to pass through. He gathers his people. They fight Israel, defeat him. They take all these cities and they settle in all these cities of the Amorites. They're being prepared for the bigger, more uh, more important, let's say, bigger battles to come. They take a song of victory from the Amorites, as in, uh, so the Amorites have defeated um, the Edomites. We've defeated the Amorites, so therefore it's going to be woe to you, O Moab. It's kind of like playground logic of who's the best team. Well, team one beat team two, Team three beat team one, so therefore we're just best because we've beaten somebody who's beaten uh, you. Kind of like uh, last year's Football World Cup. Saudi Arabia beat Argentina. Argentina won the World Cup. Lots of people in this part of the world now like to say, well, therefore Saudi Arabia, best team in the world uh, because they beat Argentina. So the chapter ends then, verses 31 uh, to 35. King Og is on the scene. Uh, he is talked about in Deuteronomy chapter 3 as the last surviving or a, a remaining giant, this huge physical specimen of a man. Moses sends people out to spy out the land and they captured its villages and disposed the Amorites who were there. Then they turn, they go up by the way to Bashan, comes up in... Uh, Amos, uh, I believe. Og, king of Bashan, came out against them, he and all his people, to battle at Edrai. And in verse 34, the Lord says to Moses, Do not fear him. I have given him into your hand and all his people and his land, and you shall do to him as you did to Sion, king of the Amorites, who lived at Heshbon. So they defeated him and the sons of all his people until there were no survivor left, and they possessed his land. On a really 
kind of big picture level then, Numbers 21, we see that people start with great belief. They're doing great things, empowered by God. They kind of fall away from that. They slip back into unbelief, into the these very human patterns of, oh, this is kind of boring now, God. We've experienced you on the mountaintops. We're now walking through a bit of a lull. Uh, oh, pff, rubbish. I wish we'd never left uh, Egypt. Let's go back. I can't believe you've brought us out of here just to die, seemingly forgetting the supernatural empowerment that they've just had. There's then that beautiful example and application of the gospel uh, there right in the middle of the chapter. And then the people kind of, it's kind of jolts them back. Uh, they're repentant, they're back in faith, and then they're doing great things again when they believe and when they trust in God. But for me, again, the biggest, the best thing in Numbers chapter 21 is the example of the bronze serpent. Jesus used it as an example of how he was going to save the world. Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. He's talking there about his crucifixion. Would Nicodemus have understood this instantly? That's a point that's up for debate. You know, the guy was a Pharisee. The guy knew uh, scripture. The guy um, was a member of the Jewish ruling council. Uh, John chapter 3 uh, tells us, is part of the, the Sanhedrin, the highest legal, legislative, and judicial body among the Jews. The guy, in theory, knows what's going on. Was this Jesus planting a seed in the mind of Nicodemus? Obviously, we read it after the fact, and we know he's talking about crucifixion, death, and resurrection. But whilst we could talk about these things for days and days and days, did he know? Did he plant the seed? Did he go away and realize and come to faith? Um, it's there for us to read now, and we look back and we marvel at the way these things happened, the way that they're described, the way that Jesus then throws back and says, look, just as this happened, so too it is going to happen so that everyone who believes in him and the Son of Man lifted up, crucified, killed, may be healed, have eternal life, uh, may be restored and redeemed from the consequence of their sin as the people were here in Numbers 21. So for me, that is absolutely the best thing going on in this chapter. Next week, then, we will get into Numbers 22. Uh, but until then, God bless you.